started in our brand new flipping Christmas series. So go ahead and turn in or on your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to hang out. We started, we're starting a brand new series because it's Christmas time. And every time I say it's Christmas time, I think, I think of the whole, the old song is Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mama's cooking chicken in collard greens. Y'all remember that song? That's a real song. It's out there. It's crazy. Anyway, um, but it's Christmas. I, I, I love Christmas. It's an amazing time of the year. Christmas is here. Is anybody else like in the Christmas spirit a little more than normal this year? Anybody? Yeah, I am. I'm usually a Scrooge. Usually Scrooge can be real honest. I make fun of myself about it every single year around this time. I'm usually a Scrooge. I'm usually the guy that's like, ah, whatever, bah humbug, get out my face, you know, all that stuff. I usually don't even like Christmas songs. I've been singing Christmas songs like crazy this year already. I played in our staff meeting this week. I played Christmas music during the staff meeting, right? Like just background jazz Christmas music. It was great. It was awesome. I'm the guy now that's got the Christmas candles out at my house, right? I went, I went shopping for Christmas with my wife yesterday. She was shopping. I was smelling the Christmas candles, like true story. I feel like everybody has kind of sped Christmas up this year. Do you feel like that? I feel like everybody skipped right over Thanksgiving, right? It went from spooky ghosts to oh joy to the world. You literally took your ghost down and put a manger up. Like that's what happened this year? I feel bad for the, I said this all three. I feel bad for the turkeys. They got eaten and weren't even celebrated ahead of time. It's kind of, it was great, but I, I do. I feel like, and I feel like that because I think it's just been a crazy two years, right? It's just been, the past two years have been nuts and like people are going crazy, I feel like, and we just want some joy. And so if Jingle Bells brings us joy, let's go, you know? They're, they're putting up Christmas trees sooner. They're putting up decorations sooner. All that stuff, and, and I'm here for it. I love it. But I want to take over this next series, over flipping Christmas, and I really want to flip the Christmas story because I believe that the Christmas story is less about a feel-good story and just like, hey, it's this cool feel-good story. And I believe that it's actually symbolic and indicative of how the kingdom of God actually works. And the kingdom of God works upside down or flipped uh, than the world that we live in. It's completely different than the world we do, that we live in. And, and there's so many examples of that. I believe the Christmas story uh, walks us through that. We're going to look at major characters and major players in the Christmas story. So today, we're going to talk about the wise men. Next week, we're going to talk about Mary and Joseph. I would say they were pretty important to the story, right? And then the next week, this is going to blow your mind. You're never going to guess who we're talking about the next week. It's going to be Jesus the next week. Like, you guys that couldn't guess that, I worry about you. But we, you know, no, I'm just kidding. And, and, and there's major players, and there's depth. And, and here's what I want you to know about the Bible, is the deeper you go in the Bible, the more you learn about kind of there's a depth to it that reads you rather than you reading it. It challenges you. That's why it's so important to read the Bible and kind of dig in and, and go a little deeper than normal. And the kingdom of God is represented throughout the Christmas story, but the kingdom of God is a little different. Kingdom of God is different. In fact, Hebrews says it like this. Hebrews says, after we have submitted our lives to Christ, right, and we've given our lives to Christ and salvation has come into our house, we become a part of a kingdom, and it says this, that shall never be shaken. Here's what I love about that. You ever had something happen in your life and it just completely catches you off guard? Like, you're like kind of like, oh, did, all right, didn't see that coming. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that happened today. I don't know. Maybe you Clemson fans, when you hear that Brent Venables is going to Oklahoma, it's going to throw you off guard. 
Some of y'all are like, that's news right now. Like you're breaking sports news at church. What's wrong with you? No, like it catches us off guard. What I love about it is I, I, I love the fact that God goes, there's nothing that's going to catch me off guard. I'm not shaken. I'm not disturbed. I'm not like off guard. Like it, I, I'm okay with everything that takes place. When, when COVID-19 showed up, God didn't go, where'd that come from? Never heard of that before. No, he had a plan in place. He knows what to do. That's why we don't need to freak out about this stuff. We just need to lean in. You with me? Let's don't freak out. Let's lean in. And the kingdom is, it operates different than the world we're in. Watch this. I'm going to give you some examples of how the kingdom operates uh, flipped and differently and upside down. And it's just completely flipped Christmas. Watch this. Mary is a virgin as a teenager who's engaged to a man who is building a house. And when he comes home, she tells him she's pregnant, but she's only been pregnant by the spirit of God. Y'all, that's weird. It's okay to admit, admit that. Like, maybe you grew up in church like I did where it was okay. It wasn't okay to go, that's a little strange. That's a little hard for me to wrap my head around. It's weird. It's different than the way that things operate in our world. In our world, there's certain things you have to do to get pregnant. Right? In, in the kingdom, it was just like, no, you're pregnant with a purpose. You're pregnant with Jesus, and it was crazy. And I actually, I'm on Joseph's side at the beginning of this thing. When he shows up, she's like, hey, hey, honey, I'm pregnant. And he's like, hold up. I've been building a house, and, like, I, I haven't been here, and I know what it takes to get pregnant, so you got some splaining to do, right? And he's skeptical until God speaks to him, and I get why he'd be skeptical. I would be too. I'd be like, give me that diamond back, girl. Y'all would too. Don't act like that. It's upside, it's upside down, right? It's, it doesn't go the same way that we do. Then you got Jesus who was born, and when he's coming, they're expecting him to come and be a political king, overthrow politics, change the Roman government, make everything completely different politically. And Jesus is like, I'm not coming for your throne. I'm coming for your soul. I'm, I'm, I'm the savior, not the king of the earth. I'm the king of the universe. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's, it's upside down. Because what we think is the higher up you are, the more change you can make. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve. So therefore, it's not about me going up. It's about me coming down. In fact, he left, he left the cush of heaven in the throne of heaven to come to earth. That's a big deal. It's upside down. It's flipped from where we, we, we're used to it being. Watch this. Jesus died. Okay. Like that happens. It's the circle of life. You're welcome. I'm trying to keep us all engaged today. It's the circle of life. It happens. But he didn't just die. He called his own shot before he died. He said, you can kill me, but three days later, I'm going to rise back up out of the grave, and I'm going to defeat death, hell, and the grave, and then I'm going to ascend to my Father, and I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to pray for you. That's what he said. And guess what? He did it. He rose up, and then he holds the keys, and he goes, I got the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and now I'm going to the Father to pray for all of you guys. And I'm going to release the Spirit into your life so that now Mary's not the only one that can be pregnant with purpose. Now you can. 
And it's an incredible thing that takes place. It's upside down. He defeats the enemy while he's dead instead of alive. Let's keep going. All right, I love this stuff. Let's keep going. Women in that day, we've talked about this, had no power, had no value. They were only as valuable as the person they were married to. It's just how the culture was. I don't agree with it. It's just how the culture was. And God goes, no, that's not how I work. How I work is everybody has purpose. Everybody has value. Everybody has a plan. Everybody is, is called by God. Everybody's a child of God. And because of that, watch this. In the New Testament, Jesus puts women in his family tree in his genealogy, and nobody did that back in that day, much less a king and the Savior. And they put him in there. And not only that, God then uses women throughout the New Testament to establish and grow the, the church that Jesus died for throughout the earth. He flips it upside down. He, it's flipping Christmas, right? Then you got scriptures like this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, we are to be aliens of this world. Let me just, I don't want you to get this weird image of an alien. I'm visual. I get those images. It's aliens of the world. Here's what he means. Be different. Look different. Act different, talk different, love different. Don't get caught up in all this other silly stuff. In fact, it says it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says it again in another way. Don't be conformed to the world. In other words, be so different that everything around you becomes like you instead of you becoming like it. When we give our lives to Jesus, it says you're supposed to act so different that it's like you don't even belong here. And watch this. It's because we don't. We're only passing through this earth to get to eternity. Eternity is our home. Eternity is our home. Earth is our journey. We just pass through here to get there. And the reality is I love everything about what this talks about because it's upside down. It's flipped. And if we look in the depths and we, uh, and, and we get into the, the teachings and the context and the culture and the background of the Christmas story, we see how all of it is flipped from how we know. The kingdom of God is flipped from how we know. And I, I'm going to talk to you about the wise men today. And here's the thing is I, when I think about Christmas season, I think about the nativity scene, right? You know what I'm saying? How many of you guys got nativity scenes in your house? Now, let me say this. Uh, hands are up. We got one out in the front of the, the church. Watch this. Here's the reality. Don't go. I had somebody come up to me after the 830 and they were like, I'm going to get rid of my nativity scene. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not the point of it. But I am going to throw the nativity scene in a bit of a loop today because it's not quite as cut and dry as a marketable tool that you can set on the mantle of your fireplace. There's a lot of depth and, and a lot of movement in the Christmas story. And so I want to look at the wise men today and look at the depth of that and what it means for the kingdom of God to be flipped and upside down and operate differently. Let's read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 today. Here's what it says. I, I love reading the Christmas story, any part of it. it. I just feel like there should be jingle bells behind me every time I do it. Like, I just love it in this season. Watch this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is where it has been written by the prophet. 
And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. And then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Man, I love reading that. Like, it just gets me in the Christmas spirit. I can smell, like, the smells of Christmas talking about it. There's some interesting facts that I want to give you for a minute because I think it's interesting to dig deep into the Scriptures, and we can miss a lot when we don't do this. But there's some interesting facts. It really can can give us some, some practical applications about the wise men. Most of us, right, if we were asked how many wise men were there, most of us would, rep- would reply with the number three, right? There's three wise men. The truth is, we don't actually know that. It's never confirmed. It's never in the Bible that there was three. We think there was three because there was three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so it would make sense that there was three. And it makes sense that there's more than one because magi, never, or wise men, as we know them, uh, never traveled alone, really. And so there was probably more than one, but there could have been 10 or 15. It's probable there was three because there was three gifts, but there's a chance there was more than three in the, in the room and on the journey with King Herod, or from King Herod to go and find the child, the baby. It's also likely because our nativity scene shows us that the wise men show up and the baby is laying in the manger having a good time. The reality is Jesus was probably one or two years old. He was probably a toddler. He probably wasn't a baby. Because think about it. There's a few things that happen here, right? First of all, when you read the scripture, what does it say? It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. In verse 11, after coming into the house, it doesn't say stable. It says house. There's a big difference in a house and a stable, right? If you don't know what the difference is, go live in a stable tonight. Just go sleep in the stable. That's it. Leave your house, go sleep in the stable. There's a big difference, right? It says that they were in the house, so it's an indication of a changed location from where everything took place. Also, it says that after they saw the star, then they showed up to King Herod in that area. And then King Herod called a meeting between the scribes and the priests to find out what the scriptures and the prophets had said about when, when and where Jesus would be born, right? And then after that meeting, and he gets that clarification, he calls another meeting with the Magi, or the wise men, and he says, hey, I need you to go, and I need you to tell me where he's at so I can worship him. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I can worship him, and I need you to go and do that. Now, after two meetings, after they had already traveled, they had come to King Herod. King Herod had called two meetings, and now they got to get on their camel. They got to follow a star miles and miles and miles on camelback, and they got to travel together where they're going to go. The likelihood of them getting there whenever he was a newborn is very unlikely. The wise men probably weren't there when he was a newborn. 
Theologians don't think he was there, they, that he was one or two years old. They don't think he was a newborn when they got there. The only person that was there when he was newborn was a little drummer boy. Because every newborn needs a little drummer boy, right? And then it was a silent night, right? And then it was joy to the world. In heart, the herald angels sang. Get and see what, okay, that was bad. All right, sorry. I was trying. I was trying, guys. I was trying. But the reality is, is he, he was probably one or two years old. In fact, think about it like this. Let me, let me kind of show you another idea of it. King Herod put out a decree that he was to kill every kid under what age? Two. Why would he say two years old if the baby was a newborn? Why not just say, kill every newborn baby? Probably because he was between one and two years old, right? And so these are things that we can miss, but there's a lot of intricacies and things that we can learn. And I'm, I'm, I want us to see there's so much depth to the story that we can look over because we see everything through a filter in which we're learned and taught. And I'm not saying you're bad if you don't know that stuff. What I'm saying to you, let's dig a little bit today. And, and, and there's something interesting that really, this is where the flip takes place in the Christmas story. Is they weren't, when I grew up, I thought the wise men were wise because they knew the Bible. Because they knew Jesus, they knew God, they knew the Bible. No, they were, they're not even called wise men, they're called Magoi. That's the Greek word. Magoi means magi. Magi, what is magi? What is that? It's the root word for magician or magic. They were astronomers and magi. They, they trusted the universe. They fed off the, you can hear this sometimes if you listen to New Age spirituality. I feel the vibes of the universe. I get my energy from the universe. The universe tells me, is telling me this is what should happen. This is those kind of people. These are the people that looked to the sky and the universe told them everything they needed to know. The universe was all about the karma. The universe spoke to them. And the reality is, they weren't super spiritual people. They were actually considered like almost kings because they worked with kings so much and they were, they were able to see the universe in a different way and all that stuff. And it's interesting when you start to break some things down and you look at what they actually were, that they weren't scholars of the Bible and all that stuff. They were just people that looked to the stars for direction. They were smart people. They were wise, but they weren't wise in spirit. They were wise in knowledge. Hear me. This is something I, want, I feel like I want to tell you today. There's a difference in being knowledgeable, smart, or wise in knowledge and wise in spirit. There's a lot of followers of Jesus that are wise up here, but they have no idea how to follow him in here. And there's a lot of followers of Jesus that are wise down here, but have no idea about the information of the depth of the scriptures. And I think there needs to be a marrying of the two, and that's how we live this thing out in a way that nobody else ever has before in our life. And we can be the difference. There's two, two <coughs> flipped upside down, flipped Christmas principles I want to kind of look at through this story. The first one is this. I think it's interesting that the King Herod, he calls him in and he looks at him and he goes, listen, I want you to go to Jesus and you need to come back. And when you come back, you need to tell me where he's at because I want to worship him. Now, if you know the story, then you know that he doesn't want to worship Jesus. He wants to kill him. The reason he wants to kill him is because kings were very protective of their throne. They didn't want their power um, threatened. They didn't want anybody to take power from them. And so they'd kill anything that was a threat. They'd get rid of any roadblock to their power. He wanted to kill them. And so watch this. The king's evil intentions is what actually put the wise men in the presence of the Savior. 
the evil intentions of another man actually put them in the presence of the Savior. And, and one of the things that I'm, I grasp when, I was, when I'm studying this and looking at this is this. Things are flipped upside down because, watch this, everything that happens in your life, good or bad, and both will happen and will happen on a consistent basis and will happen at good times and bad times. Everything that happens in your life, good or bad, watch this, is either going to draw you closer or push you further from God. Everything. It has the opportunity to draw you in, to embrace you closer to the heart of God, or it has the opportunity to push you further. But watch this. The circumstance or the event or the intent is never the thing that decides that. It's me and it's you that decide that. We decide if we get closer or if we get further away. Everything that happens, and evil intentions happen. Other people have evil intentions for the way that they treat you and the way that they kind of uh, uh, get you to do certain things in their life and manipulate certain things. And watch this, you have evil intentions too. I have evil intentions, you have evil intentions. Well, I don't want to go kill anybody. No, but selfish. Want to, you know, what's the Bible say whenever we keep keep God's finances to ourselves. He says, you're robbing me. That's evil intention, right? We don't mean it that way, but it is an evil intention. We all have it. Watch this. But when we realize it, we can either draw closer to God or we can push further away. And people that are in the presence of the Savior usually will always come closer because they realize there's something greater at work. Watch what which takes place. I, th I think it's interesting. These guys are executing a plan by the king to kill baby Jesus, to, to kill the savior of the universe. They're executing this plan, and they're going through this thing. They don't even really believe he's the Messiah at this moment. They're, they're not super spiritual. They're not these people. But in verse 11, there's something that takes place, and it's interesting that it takes place from people that worship the universe. What happens? In verse 11, it says, when they saw, or um, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and it says, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Let's look at the context. Go back. When they got in King Herod's presence, it didn't say they fell to the ground and worshiped him. So what's the difference? The difference is who's in the room. You can't convince me that there's not something that took place that is probably on a supernatural uh, uh, notion or vein to where when they walked in the room, they knew something was different about this child. That they began to, they fell on the ground and they worshiped the Savior. Why is that important? Because they didn't worship people, they worshiped the universe. They worshiped the stars. That was what they built everything off of. That was their name, that was their title, that's where they spent. And watch this, they spent, Magi spent decades, they spent hours, they spent multiple moments taking orders from kings. They were in the presence of kings all the time. So if Jesus was only a king, it would never would have made them get to that place. But he wasn't just a king. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there was something in that moment that caused them that they may not have understood it. But I believe there was something in that moment that caused them to draw closer to the Savior because of who was in the room. And I don't know about you, but no matter what happens 
in my life, I want to know that I'm in the room with the Savior. I want to know that I'm in the room with Jesus. I want to know that everything can change the moment that he enters the room, the moment he walks in, the moment he sits down, the moment he's in me. Everything can change the moment he's in the room. It shifts everything. And I think it's interesting, man, that they come into this thing and they don't have, like, think about it like this. Let me, let me show you the flip. In our lives, the way that we live, we pit everything against something else, don't we? Everything's on a hierarchy. Everything's either better or worse. Like Popeye's is better than Chick-fil-A, right? So, like, <laughs> some of y'all, like, you just lost credence with me completely, right? Like, Coke is better than Pepsi, and Coke Zero is better than all of it, right? So, <laughs> some of y'all going to fight me over this stuff, right? Like, football is greater than any Hallmark movie. Things like that. <laughs> everything is either better or worse. That's just how we see things. We put everything on a hierarchy. And it's not a bad thing. It's how we're wired. We're wired to list things. We're wired to go through that thing. Watch this. And it's also why we get stuck going, well, I'm not sinning as bad as they are. And because their sin is worse than mine, surely I'm good. Surely I'm okay. All I got to do is when the trumpet calls and Jesus comes back and my life is over, I just got to run faster than they do and make sure that, God, that they close the gates of hell before I can get in there. That's what we do. Their sin's higher than mine. I, I pray more than they do. I go to church more than they do. And church was never meant to be a part of a hierarchy checklist. It was meant to be a part of a growing relationship with others and with God. It was never meant to be something that you just checked off. It was meant to be something that helped us grow. That's why, that's why it's important to be a part of a local church and, and let your roots sink down and serve that church and be a part of what is happening in that church because that's the importance. We're there to be in this thing but watch this here's the beauty is this is where it flips their background should have disqualified them from being in the presence of jesus they weren't religious they they, they didn't even you know there's no indication from what we know of them that they were you know uh super religious and they believed that he was the savior in fact, it, it talks about they, they, where's the king going to be born, the king, the political ruler. But I love the fact that Jesus goes, it doesn't matter what their intent was. It doesn't matter their background. What matters is they got in his presence. And I just want somebody in here to know, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you've said. Here's, hear me today. When we get in the presence of Jesus, everything changes. We all have an opportunity to get in the presence the same way. We all have an opportunity for Jesus to change our life the same way. We all have that chance. We all have that opportunity to go, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be in your kingdom. Because I say it like this, the ground is level at the cross. The ground is level at the cross. There is no, you're better than me, and I'm better than you. No, there's, we're all one family. There's no race. There's no socioeconomic status. There's no political affiliations. There's no vaccination cards. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone, and the ground is level at the cross, and it doesn't matter who you are. We all get that. 
We all get that. And I love that he's showing us that through the wise men going, yeah, yeah, they were jacked up. Yeah, they didn't even believe, but they got in his presence and everything changed. And here's the last one. Watch this. Here's the second upside down thought is what do they do? So they worship him. And then it says in, 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 in verse uh, 12 or, or the end of verse 11, it says in opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and then it says, this is important. You got you to gotta watch this stuff. Verse 12 says, and then God spoke to them in a dream not to return to Herod. Watch this. Who was speaking to them ahead of that? The universe. It wasn't the spirit. It was the stars. It wasn't the creator. It was the world. Everything else spoke to them but God in their thought. But the moment they worshiped, in the moment they gave them the best of what they had, God gave them the best of what he had. And that was his voice. Watch this. I think we can't pass by this. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, there's all these, um, there's all these symbolic things that we can draw from what the gifts meant to the king and all this other stuff. And that stuff's great and awesome. And, I, you know, look into that, and it's interesting to look into. But here's the simplicity of it. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Because it was the best and rarest and hardest to find gifts from their country. And if they were going to be in the presence of what they thought was a king, but they later encountered as a savior, if they were going to be in his presence, they were bringing the best of what they had. Can I ask you a quick question? It should challenge us all. It should cause us all to chew on this a little bit. What does what I'm giving God say about how I see God? Let me, let me ask you like this. Am I really giving him my best? Am I giving him my best in parenting? Am I giving him my best in marriage? Am I giving him my best in my church? Am I giving him my best of my finances? Am I giving him my best at work? Am I really giving him my best even when I'm around my enemies that bring out my worst? Because I'm crazy enough to believe that if I give him my best, he'll give me his best. And it changes everything at that moment. Because now I don't have to sit back and go, hey God, I got to find this and I got to find that and it's all about this. And No, God just goes, just give me the best of who you are. Because it's the best gifts from their country, from where they were born, from where they came from, from who they were. It was the best gifts from who they were. Watch this. Just give them the best of what you got. I challenge you over the next, this Christmas season, over the next month, give him the best of what you've got in every area. Give him your best and watch what happens. It'll change everything. Invite him into your relationship and go, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give you my best. Invite him into your finances. God, I'll do what you want me to do. Give him your best. I promise you it changes everything. Watch. Here's why I know that. Because the ground is level at the cross. And there's no hierarchy. There's nothing you can earn. 
everything's flipped in the kingdom to where everybody has access to the same spirit and the same God and the same salvation and the same defeat of the enemy and the same resurrection that they talk about in the Bible. That's why the Bible says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it never changes because it's flipped upside down. And when it's flipped upside down, everybody has access to the same forgiveness and the same love. Everybody. Everybody. And so what are the applications to this whole thing? One application is, what if we stopped holding ourselves hostage based on who we were? Because some some of the issue with Christianity isn't with Christianity. It's the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of something that we won't forgive ourselves of. Who I was, the Bible says that he erases it. He throws it as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember the junk that you bring up to yourself every day. How powerful is that? So what if I stop letting my background disqualify me from his presence? Okay, that's who you were last night. Start today. His mercy is new every day. Start today. Submit your life to him and walk a new a new life from this point forward. It's a journey. In fact, I love the fact that Jesus says it like this. He says, and we taught on this a couple weeks ago, but he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he, here's basically in simplicity what he says. I'm going to give you two laws. I'm going to take 300 plus laws and I'm going to turn them into two. And once you begin to follow those two, we'll work out the rest. Those two are love God, love others. That's it. Submit my life to God and treat his family and his kids with respect and honor and love and commit to it. And we'll work out the rest as we go in this journey called life. It's honestly that easy. So what is one of the applications? Stop letting your past disqualify you. The other one is Where do I need to give him my best that I might not be right now? Where do I need to give God more? Where do I need to go, you know what, God? My attitude, you ain't getting my best. Let me change that. You know what, God, at work, I don't, I don't, you know, 1 Peter tells us to to, to worship God through everything that we do. It's giving him our best. You know what, God, this is what I need to do. What does that look like for you? I don't know. I can't answer that. But here's what I know. Everybody deserves an opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus. All five of those names plus you and your family. No matter what. You know as well as I do, there's been people in your life that you're like, I'm not inviting them to church. They're crazy. Don't say no for them because they might say yes to him. say no for because the reality is you and I we all deserve and have access and opportunity to the presence of Jesus and here's what I want to do I just want to pray over you whether you're at home today whether you're here I want to pray over you I want to pray that God moves in a great way I want to pray that God erases our background from us I want to pray that God gives us boldness to walk in a new freedom and a new life Uh, and I want to pray that God would illuminate areas in our life where we need to give our best. If you would, just bow your heads with me at this moment.
if you're in the room and you've never given your life to Jesus and you've heard about a life-giving Savior that loves you where you are and you want to live your life for Him, the first thing you can do to give your best is to give Him you. And you've never done that, but you want to. Can I just ask you to raise your hand right where you are and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to, I want to, I want salvation. I want eternal life with him. Let me pray with you. Father, we honor you. We worship you. We give you everything that we have, God. You alone are worthy. You alone are holy. You alone are good. And no matter what happens, God, we know that you're the same yesterday today and forever. And I just pray, God, that we would learn what our past looks like and that it doesn't disqualify us, but it brings us closer to you. God, let us not be held hostage by something that you've already forgiven. So God, I pray that we'd walk forward with freedom and boldness as we walk in your presence. And God, help us to realize and illuminate in our lives where we can give our best even more. God, I pray over each person in this room that we're not the same no longer the same as when we walked in, but we're going to be completely different. God, we love you. In your name we pray.